Morning, morning. Because of uh, all the different things, you have the privilege of a shorter sermon, praise the Lord. Um, So uh, we're starting uh, a series in Hebrews today. Um, Sorry, I sound a little nasally, it's allergies and stuff. Uh, But we're starting a new series in Hebrews, so I have the privilege of kicking that off for us this week. Um, And so if you have your Bible, you can start to the beginning, uh, turn to the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1. Um, and we'll get four, four verses there, and then the four, four, first four verses of chapter 2. Hebrews. Chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. In chapter 2, four verses, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received as just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Let me pray for us one more time. Um, Heavenly Father, we want to come before you now and uh, just be open to what you have to say, God. And and today, just a very simple message. And if we've been in the church, we've heard it again and again. But God, with the core of who we are as Christians, with this core message, shake us every time we hear it, God. And so would you speak to us today? Would you speak life into our spirits, into our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, um, uh, yeah, just to clarify what uh, Pastor Hojin was saying, um, sorry, I do not have a bomb sermon. Um, there are no bomb sermons. There's only a bomb God and a bomb gospel. And so that is what we're going to lay out here today. And so the Hebrews, uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, um, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting and it's a little special in particular in that in the Old Testament, there are a few books where we're not entirely sure who the author is. But in the New Testament, uh, it's usually pretty clear. John wrote John and Matthew wrote Matthew. But there's no man named Hebrews who wrote Hebrews. And so we're not quite sure who the author is. And so it makes it a little special, a little particular. Um, but we, we do know who the audience and the cultural setting was for this book. And today we don't talk about it a whole lot. Um, a lot of Old Testament references, and it's kind of confusing uh, if we're not too familiar with the Old Testament. And um, there's a lot of animal sacrifices, and that's illegal. So we don't really go into that too much. But uh, it's very relevant for who we are because the cultural setting is an urban setting, right? And so particularly if we're in Boston, this urban message would be very relevant. And not just the urban setting of it, but the society that they lived in was very pluralistic. And so 
there was all these differing opinions about, oh, you know, you can have your religion, but I can have my belief, I can have my God. And in a pluralistic society, it's hard to stick to your guns and say, this is the only way. And uh, we still live in that kind of world, right? Where we're supposed to live in the midst and be able to accept everything that everyone else believes. And not only that is it relevant because um, the people that the, the author of Hebrews was speaking to, the question that they had in the midst of so many religions and so many options and people who seemed to be thriving, believing other things, the question that people were asking was, if God is so good and God is so loving, then why is my life so hard? And why are the, the lives of my brothers and sisters around me also so hard? And that's the context that Hebrews is written to. And so it's very relevant for us today. And so we don't skirt around it. And so we'll jump in to chapter 1. And it's very simple what the author of Hebrews is going to be telling us. And if you've been in church for a long time, this is something you've heard. But he starts off this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He's spoken to us by his son. Um, so it's contrasting. There's God speaking in the, uh, before, and there's God speaking to us in the last days. Now, the last day simply refers to everything after Jesus. Um, you know, it's kind of, a, that's a long last days. But um, that's just saying that this is the last chapter. There's no chapter after this one for this world that we're living in. Jesus, there was creation, there was fall, there was uh, the time before Jesus, and then there was Jesus, and then this is the last chapter. We are in these last days, the last chapter of this world. And so in these last days, he has spoken through Jesus, but in the past, he spoke to our ancestors in various ways and in many times. And what this is saying is that in the past, if you look at the Old Testament, God will always speak to his people in a... A fragmented way, there would be a part of his glory that he would reveal, right? He, he would come in a fire. He would show himself at the temple. He came down in a cloud. Uh, maybe he would reveal himself in the law, but it was always very fragmented. Many ways, many times, an aspect of who God is. Now, in, the, in, in our era, in the last days, it says God speaks to us through Jesus, through the Son. And that's it. That's all we get. We get Jesus and that's everything, that's ultimate, that's final, and that's where everything rests, in who Jesus is. Now, this has a, the beauty of this is that, first of all, God speaks to us. We've got to know that, that God isn't just an abstract concept that we're just thinking about, but he spoke and he speaks. And the way he speaks is through the finality, finality of who Jesus is. And there's a bit of a, it's kind of scary as well, because it's final. It's final, right? There's nothing more. Um, but if we look at that deeper too, there's a beauty to that as well. Because that also shows that God is, uh, well, to understand God, we need to understand the relationship of him. And in going deeper into a relationship with someone, you need to come across their finalities, Right? Every person you come across, that we change over time, we grow in character, we evolve in our personality, our preferences change, but there are finalities to a person that if you want to go deeper into relationship with them, you have to get to know those finalities and even embrace them, right? Um, Pastor Danny is a Red Sox fan. Final. 
Period. That's not changing. Pastor Hojin is a Yankees fan. There's nothing you can do to change those things. And if you can't embrace that, then you can't go deeper in your relationship with them. Right? You have to be able to embrace that and say, I love you for being a Red Sox fan. I love you for being a Yankees fan. And that's kind of silly, but everybody is going to have their finalities as a person. And uh, that's just how we all are. Now, if I can manipulate people's brains and make them believe what I want them to believe, change what they do to make them think the way I want them to think, if I had a magic wand that could go poof, and you would do everything that I wanted you to do, what is that? That's not really a relationship anymore. You're an appliance now, right? That's all you've become. You do what I want you to do, you say what I want you to say, and you believe what I want you to believe. But a relationship, it has to have finalities to a person, to whoever you have a relationship with. That's just the nature of it. And the thing with God is that he has finalities. And the ultimate finality is Jesus Christ, what he's done, what he's said, what he's proclaimed. Our problem today is that we tend to contextualize everything to our preference and to our taste. If there's something in scripture that seems to go against kind of what I want to believe, what I want to say, I wave my magic wand and say, let me uh, say what well, God is actually trying to say this. And we turn God into an appliance to do whatever we wanted to say and believe whatever we want to believe. But if we want to go deep in our relationship with God, we have to understand the finalities of him. And his ultimate finality that he's spoken is Jesus Christ and everything that he is, everything that he says, everything that he's done. Um, and so we'll keep reading. Verse 2, But in these last days he has spoken to us by Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Let's go back to verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The magnificence of all that God is, all that Jesus was, is the exact this is, this is, when you look at Jesus, you look at God. And, and to think about that, let's look at second, or second Corinthians chapter 3. It says, now the Lord, this is, this is talking about, um, it's talking about Moses. In the context of Moses, and when Moses would come across after he had encountered God, he had to wear a veil because the glory of God was too glorious, too awesome from his face. And so he had to wear a veil to cover it. And so now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. Have you ever rubbed shoulders with someone who um, is awesome, essentially? (laughs) Is awesome in some way. And just by being in the presence of that person, you want to share in their awesomeness, 
right? You want to play music like they do. You want to love people like they do. You want to be generous like they are. You want to love God like they are. You want to be an awesome basketball player like they are. Whatever their awesomeness is, as you gaze into it, you, you have this longing to be it, and even a part of you kind of strives after it, right? And what this is telling us is that Jesus is the exact representation of God, and when you gaze into Jesus, that's the inspiration. That's what happens when we look at Jesus. Now, the thing is, in the Old Testament, every, there, had, there had to be a veil. When Moses, when Moses was with God, God said, turn around, and I'll walk by you, and you can get a glimpse of my backside, Right? That's how glorious God is, that Moses had to turn his back to him and get a glimpse of his backside, or else he would die. And for us, I mean, we can't even gaze at the glory of the sun without burning our eyes out, much less the glory of God. But God comes down in this human form, and he allows us to see him in his awesomeness. That's who Jesus is. He's the exact representation of who God is. And here's what this does for us. It demands everything. If we believe that, it demands everything. Or either we reject it entirely, or we submit to it entirely. But there is no middle ground. There is no true middle ground Christian if you understand who God is. How can you be a middle ground Christian when this is who Jesus claims to be? It doesn't make sense. One teacher put it this way, and in speaking about starting out by another kind of galaxy illustration, if, uh, so the distance between the earth and the sun is 92 million miles. Now let's say a sheet of paper represents the distance between the earth and the sun, 92 million miles. The distance between the earth and the next star is a stack of paper that is 70 feet high. Next star. That's pretty far. Now, the span of the galaxy is a stack of paper that goes 310 miles high. And this galaxy, which represents a stack of paper 310 miles high, is a speck of dust in the universe. And there's a being who holds all of that in his pinky. And we come to church and say, God, would you be my assistant? It doesn't make sense. If we understand who God is, you don't, there's no kind of, kind of relating to who God is. If you understand how big God is, how can we kind of be a Christian? He demands everything. Either we je- reject him entirely and say, Jesus is crazy. He's just a lunatic saying these weird things, or he's a liar, and I don't believe him at all. Or you say, the being of God demands everything that I am. David Platt gives this illustration, and I've shared this many times in in smaller settings, but I love it, and so I'm going to share it again. Um, And so the three people who haven't heard, this is for you. Um, He gives an illustration of, let's say there was, uh, uh, okay, this Sunday, let's say today, uh, I'm the speaker, and today uh, Lazarus came up, and they shared their presentation, and then Pastor Hojin prayed, and said, Pastor Dan is going to give us a bomb sermon, and he prayed, and then... He, he went down, Lazarus left, and I'm supposed to come up, but I wasn't here. And then you wait like five minutes, and then, and then now you're thinking, oh, there's no bomb sermon anymore. And then 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by, 20 minutes go by, and you're about to leave, very disappointed because there's no bomb sermon. And then I finally run in through the doors. I'm running, and I'm like, oh, okay, and I get up here. 
guys, I'm so sorry. Let me, let me tell you what happened. I was on my way to church this morning, and my tire went flat, so I had to change my tire. And, and I had my spare, so that's all okay. And I was changing my tire, and I was, uh, I was out in the road, and then um, this truck drove by, and I got hit by the truck. And, um, but I got my tire together, and uh, I think I'm okay. All right, let's go. Right? Let's say I came and I said that. What would you be thinking in your head? Any, what's wrong with him? <laughs> Clearly, he did not get hit by a truck. Right? And why would you think that? Because if I get hit by a truck, I look different, and I can't go on with my life as if I never got hit by a truck. The moment I'm hit by the truck, my life is drastically different. Or else you would say, you didn't get hit by a truck. I could see if you got hit by a truck, because there's no such thing as getting hit by a truck and looking the same. The reality of who God is, the gospel, it's bigger than a truck. If you understand who God is, and if you get hit by the gospel, there's no such thing as looking the same. And if your life looks the same, at best, you've lost sight of the gospel, and at worst, you've never really seen the gospel. And if you look at your life, and you start to ask, how would my life be different if I didn't have the gospel, and you're not quite sure, I'd have to ask, have you really known the gospel? If, if the people around you are just, they can't tell. It's, it's hard to tell. And you go to church, I'm not sure if you've really encountered the gospel. It's time to ask some hard questions. Because if we're hit by it, our lives do not look the same. And in this pluralistic world, it's a world that would say, how can you claim that? That your way is the only way. And just to understand this context, why is it the Christians that ba- why is it the Christians that back down when that question is asked? Because even the person who asked that question is posing a worldview, right? Our ver- our view as a Christian is to say that among the religions, among the gods, God, Jesus Christ, the exact representation of God, our perspective is that He is far above everything else. That's just the perspective that we have. And to say that everything is even, that's just a different perspective. To say who God is and to say that that perspective, who's to say that that perspective is the perspective? But it's Christians that want to back down off of their perspective while leaving a different religious perspective to say, okay, you're fine. You're right. This pluralistic world, the Hebrew author is saying, don't back down off of who God is. Don't back down. If you're a Christian, truth is you can't. If we believe God is who he is, you can't back down. And so as we introduce Hebrews, it's basically one point. One point. In this pluralistic world, that there's so much persecution for trying to stand up for who God is. In a world where Christians, brothers and sisters who are following God are still having difficult things in their lives. What is the author saying? Saying, look at who Jesus is. And in chapter 2, 
He gives us how we find strength in that, what to do to find strength in that. Chapter 2, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Now, that most careful attention, that's, in the language that's written, and it's very intense. And so we can intensify that in the way we think about it. And attention, you could say, you could even call it an obsession. And most careful just to say a very heavy, furious obsession. And so we'll read it that way. We must be furiously obsessed, therefore, with what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Even if we've seen it once, we have a potential to drift away from it. So we must be furiously obsessed with what? We'll go from verse 2. For since the message spoken through angels was binding. In the Old Testament, there are things spoken by people. And if you take the gospel class, you also understand that people spoke a message when a king comes in. When a Caesar comes in, they announced it. People, messengers go out and they announce a king is born. But there was a message given by angels. So do not be afraid. There is a message of great news, of great joy. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born. This is the message of the angels, the message of who Jesus is. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience, every sin was taken care of, it received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? It's one thing to ignore the fragments of the Old Testament. But when Jesus comes and he shows up and he is everything that God is, what do you do if you ignore that? The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The message of the gospel. And the author is saying, we must be furiously obsessed with that message. We come into Christianity thinking that the gospel is what saves us. And it is. We become a Christian because of the gospel. But then we start thinking, now I need to figure out what to do. Now I need to figure out how disciplined I need to be. Now I need to figure out the steps I need to take. And all of a sudden, we came into Christianity through the gospel, but then we turn it into a method and a discipline. But the truth is, it starts with the gospel, and in the middle is the gospel. And the Hebrew author is saying, if you've drifted away from the gospel, you need to focus back on the gospel, and at the end, it will be the gospel. What are we looking for in here today? And what do we come in here with? Are we looking for hope? Look at the gospel. Are we looking for love? Look at the gospel. Redemption, peace, significance, everything is in the gospel. And that's why we're furiously obsessed with the gospel. I was, I was talking to someone in this church recently, and just, and just hearing their story. And this person was sharing, and they shared their story of how they came into Christianity. And then I just paused, and I was like, you know, I've heard your story of how it happened. My question is why? Because in this story, they, they heard about God before. And why this transition? And they said two words. The gospel. And then, 
And this first, I'm not looking at you, but you know who you are. Right? Just tear. All of a sudden, why are you a Christian? The gospel. (laughs) Right? But that's how it should be our whole lives. It really should. As we're furiously obsessed with the gospel from beginning to end. This is a, if you've been in church, you've heard about the gospel. You've heard about who God is. In this message, there's nothing new to it. God is big. He's awesome. Yes, yes, and yes. But are, are we, have we drifted away from the power of that? The Hebrew author has one message to suffering Christians who are being persecuted and dying in his name. Look at the gospel. You know, you've, you've seen Pastor Danny come up or Hojin or, you know, I have times or, or Pastor Judy. There's like, you know, there's a time when, when people are preaching and it's people who have been in ministry. We've known the gospel for a long time. And there's still moments where it just, it, it rocks you. It just gets you. You know, it's not because we've discovered it for the first time. But there's such a depth to the gospel. And we need to be furiously obsessed with it, beginning to end. So that's what we're going to keep reading in Hebrews as we go through this series. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel and how we fix our eyes on that and we never leave it. And that's the hope and that's the strength of everything we are, everything we do. So whatever you come in here looking for, Let's look at the gospel. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you, and God, I just want to make a confession for so many of us here. The confession that we've drifted away and we've lost sight of the gospel. And we've started trying to make Christianity about things to do, about a discipline, about a theology to learn. But God, we're only discovering that we get tired in that. We get tired and we fail and there's no joy in this Christian walk. But I pray, Lord, for all of us that you would bring us back to the foot of the cross just sit and gaze upon the glory, the magnificence, the awesomeness of the cross, the work of the gospel. And as we gaze into the eyes of Jesus, would all that glory rub off onto us, the fullness of life, the fullness of redemption, the hope of life restored, the joy of our Lord, the joy of our salvation. God, would we stop turning it into a method and just turn it into, back into a love relationship with you? Whether it's our first time or the hundredth time, God, would you shake us with the gospel? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.